Men for Battle Day by Day, a ministry of LifeBridge Church. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our Men in Action at LifeBridge Church podcast. Today, we will be listening to the testimony of Mike Etchison. You know, I've given my testimony a fair amount over the years. It's always a challenge when you have 15 or 20 minutes to consolidate 45 years. I'm in my 45th year of knowing Christ. So my name is Mike Etchison. I'm uh, a Hoosier by birth from Indiana, um, raised in a family of six, had two sisters and a brother. Uh, my older brother just went to be with Jesus in October last year. And um, so I am married and have seven children. And um, I have had a history in my work of manufacturing and real estate sales and development, both in Indiana and now here for the last 30 years in Orlando. Um, went to school at Indiana University. And um, when I was in college, I had a college roommate um, who came from a strong Christian family. And many of you may have had this experience. If not, uh, you know, I... Um, I lost my mother in high school to cancer at 50, and um, so I went off to college uh, not really having my most influential parent in my life. My father was very, very active in building a family business, and um, so she was kind of my moral compass and my, you know, probably my closest counselor. And I uh, ended up going down for a, a rush weekend for a fraternity, and uh, ended up being involved in fraternity for four years. Um, so in that junior year of my college experience, uh, one of my roommates, we had rooms that had four guys to them, and this guy said, hey, would you like to go to a meeting with me tonight to Campus Crusade? I'm not sure why I went. Maybe it was because I was probably beginning to, as an adult, um, understand a little bit about the conviction of the Holy Spirit when you're living in sin which um, not to say all fraternities are bad, but you know, mine was certainly pretty good at sinning or, or, or training people to sin well. Um, but that evening when I came back from that meeting in our room, uh, I was under deep conviction. And my roommate said, Mike, would you like to pray to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I eagerly said yes, and I prayed the sinner's prayer. And with hindsight, and some of you who've heard me teach on Thursday mornings or other times have probably heard me be very emphatic about what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. You know, there are three character qualities I believe the Bible teaches. And Jesus spent a lot of his earthly ministry, and Ralph, just a few weeks ago, did a whole message on the subject of repentance. And um, I did not understand repentance that night that I prayed. I think I was really purchasing or buying or getting a fire insurance policy because I knew I didn't want to go to hell. And, and I understood from the, the evening together with the, the leaders that it was definitely the path I was on with the way I was living and certainly didn't have it. Although I grew up in a religious family, Methodist church, used to go to Sunday school every Sunday. That was just the thing you did, you know, back in those days growing up. You know, if you were in the community, you, that was the socially acceptable thing to do, even if you weren't really intimately involved, which we were not. And um, so um, off to college, or I'm at college, and uh, 
my junior year, I actually um, met a gal, actually from my freshman year, but at that point we were getting pretty serious about, you know, what were we going to be together after college and ended up um, getting married. And, um, you know, obviously nothing really changed in my life, per se, because of the decision I made. And I got home and... Um, a few years later, about two, three years later, after I uh, got out of college, my younger sister began to talk to me. And of course, you know, yeah, I'm saved. You know, and I'd, I'd talk a little bit of the lingo, and uh, and yet, you know, I was coming up with a lot of zeros on the scorecard because you know she wasn't buying it because she had truly gotten born again. She understood repentance, and so my younger sister was very influential, and I I went. To, I used to, well, I haven't snow skied for a number of years, but I was on a snow ski trip with some close friends, and um, I always kind of had a prejudice about the really Christian Christians, you know, that they were uh, not very fun to be with, and they didn't really, they weren't much socially, and of course I was pretty much a social person. But, and this was eight people, so four couples, and two of these couples start talking in the evenings when we're together after skiing and having dinner and just socializing for the evening before we go to bed. And they start talking about Jesus and about getting born again and, you know, how it had changed them radically. And I go, wow, I, I, I didn't think this was, especially because these uh, two of them were doctors and uh, very, very well known in their communities, very established. And uh, obviously I looked up to them and, uh, so one of them gave me a book to read. The next week after that vacation, my father and I went to a convention for our company. My father started a company in the mid-40s in the manufacturing business, um, and uh, we were going to the annual convention for that industry. And uh, so I, I got this book by a guy named Hal Lindsey called Late Great Planet Earth. And again, I was under a lot of conviction, and... Uh, I was, especially after reading that book, I, I spent the next week at the convention with my wife and my uh, two-year-old daughter uh, and my dad and stepmother, uh, just thinking a lot and reading my Bible every day. And that was kind of unusual for me because I didn't, I had a nice Bible, but I didn't read it. And so um, after a golf outing that midweek you know, I, I just was under immense conviction from reading the Word. Uh, I think the thing that really brought a lot of conviction on uh, was um, the deep sin that had been in my life before that I'd kind of smoothed over. Um, I had a lot of success early on in my work career and in the community. I volunteered for a lot of things. Uh, got asked to be, as a very young man, on a lot of community boards, United Way, I was asked to be the chairman of the Board of Chamber of Commerce at 27, or excuse me, at 29. So, I mean, I was, from a social standpoint and in the community, I was, I was a rising person, that, you know, really something big. And, of course, um, that week when I had some free time, it was a social hour, uh, I just got on the golf course and took a walk. And, and, of course, I'd heard my sister ringing in my ear as well as a number of other folks that had talked to me about these things. And so I just, I began to talk to the Lord, and I just said, Lord, I, I, 
I don't think I really understood what it meant to repent. And so, as best as I can say this to you again, I'm just asking you, Lord, to come into my heart. And when you show me the way to change, I'll change. Boy, did I not know what I was praying. <laughs> and uh, so, needless to say, uh, my wife and I were both uh, from middle-income families. She came from a family of four children. I came from a family of four children. Uh, my coming to Jesus was, I mean, like that verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things come new. Oh, my gosh. I mean, um, the bucket got turned over in my my thinking. And, of course, um, I was being influenced at that time, which I would not would not recommend this particular group of Christians today. They were very fundamental. Not that being fundamental, because I think we're fundamental, but it's just uh, they were radical in their the way they taught. And, you know, instead of um, sharing the gospel like Peter says, be ready always to give an answer or a defense for the hope that lies within you with meekness and fear. We were kind of taught to put people on the edge and back them into a corner and repent, you know, get get saved. And so needless to say, it, it really kind of turned things upside down in our family. And um, of course, I having now really, you know, that, that night when I prayed, I felt unbelievable release from all my past sin and from the emptiness that I was experiencing in all the successes I was having. But, you know, it's kind of like, what's next? What's next? What's next? And, um, and yet my continued growth and zeal and desire to serve more in the church and be very evangelistic, it just was like, you know, it was very, very hard for my wife. And so um, we, we were having a tough time. And um, some of you know I, that I have been through a divorce. And uh, it was, so that was in 75. And in 78, um, my wife, who was with our architect for a home that we were building, was in a head-on car crash. And she was in a coma for two weeks. And... Um, Coming out of that, she was not the same person. And, of course, we already had all of this negative energy going on because of me, you know. And, and of course, um, at the time, I didn't have a lot of guys that were in my life mentoring me. You know, I had a lot of pastors I really respected and looked up to. And, and of course, I think probably that particular brand of Christianity at the time was, you know, not giving me maybe the best counsel about how to, stabilize things with my <clears throat> my marriage but um it was it was tough to the point that eventually my my wife decided to get a separation she just she didn't want jesus she didn't want church she didn't want any of that stuff and so it was very very it was it was a real breaking of my heart and soul and um and so that began the the quest that I, I just began to really, not that I hadn't before, but I'm now I'm just deeply getting into the Word uh, in a way that I hadn't ever before. Um, met an evangelist who came one week into the church and he talked about the power and the ability to memorize Scripture. And so I 
I took his methodology and I started working on that. And I was, you know, I was memorizing multiple verses a week and memorized, I don't know him many a lot, but um so you know that period from early '78 through late '82, um, it was just a constant struggle, um, separation. It, it, it just it was very very heartbreaking. And and eventually my wife decided to to go ahead and get a divorce. And so um, that was a real challenge, obviously, uh, at my age and having two girls and. Uh, trying to raise them for the Lord. And, and of course, I, I waited around, prayed fervently. You know, you say, well, gosh, God, why didn't you answer my prayers? You know, that God would somehow by His power, and she'd prayed with me multiple times, you know, to receive the Lord. But, you know, just there was no change. She didn't have any interest in church, didn't want to read the Bible. She thought my God was too small. And um, so... Hopefully this is coming out in a way that it doesn't sound like, you know, I abandoned her. I, I, I just, I prayed and prayed and prayed, but, you know, she just didn't want anything to do with me and Jesus. And so um, after the divorce was final, you know, I, I continued for another couple years uh, trying to learn how to be happy single. And, um, you know, because I had a lot of good mentors, um, in 1976, I, I met probably my, my, my life mentor. Uh, some of you have heard me. I know Ralph has heard me mention a guy by the name of Charlie Tremendous Jones. Um, and Charlie was a, an awesome, inspirational, motivational public speaker. And uh, when you would meet Charlie, he would just arrest you with his love and his infectious humor. And um, so I actually, when I was, this happened when I was the um, incoming chairman of the Chamber of Commerce, I was so desiring to try and influence somehow uh, my community for Christ. And so one night I was watching a, a, a Christian program and I heard Chuck Colson speak. I said, there's the guy I should get for the annual meeting, which I'm in charge of as the new incoming chairman. So I called up about him. They said, oh, no, he only speaks for prison fellowship. You won't be able to get him. But here's a guy that will help you out. So they sent me, Char or gave me Charlie's name, and I called him. He sent a package to me, and then he ended up coming and speaking. And I won't divert into some of his humor and some of his ways, but suffice to say, you know, he became, because actually, just literally, that was in October of 76, and uh, less than eight weeks later, my father was gone had lunch with him, and in the middle of the night that night, he had a massive coronary and was gone at 62. And so here I am at 29, you know, assuming the leadership of our family business, you know, and, uh, and having all these other issues going on. And so it, it just made me, again, I think uh, difficulties and challenges in life drive you deeper to get answers from God. And so... Um, that became my quest, and of course Charlie was very, very helpful because he really became not only my mentor, but he was like a surrogate father to me because my father was gone now. Um, I didn't have a great relationship with my older brother, uh, and um, so 
Sounds like a pretty sad story, doesn't it? But it's actually got a lot of good going on it. But you know, so really where the tide really began to turn, I um, we ended up leaving, my, my children and I ended up leaving this church in the late, um, well, not too long after, you know, things were going bad with my my family situation and um, met some met some people who were in church planning and so we decided three other fa- four other families than us or, or me I'm single uh, decided to start a church in my home and so uh, I'll never figure get going out for my first evangelistic exercise on a college campus at Ball State University and of course I was totally unafraid of sharing my faith but I, you know here I am in my mid 30s and I'm going out on a college campus talking to 18 to 22 year olds and there was just something that was it was scary about it but the guy had alongside of me he just said hey here's here's the five survey questions we do and you know you just follow me and listen and you know at some point I'll give you the clipboard and let you do it and so after about five six different interviews by People, he gave me the clipboard, and um, I went through the questions and asked the guy the question at the end. He said, "Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to receive Jesus." <laughs> and so I thought, "Wow, this is wonderful." So, um, needless to say, these things that were happening with the church plant and a lot of different great speakers and books, and my my mentor Charlie has a saying that I I believe to this day is so true. He says, you are today what you be five years from today, except for two things, the people you meet and the books you read. And if you think about it, that's really what the church is all about. That's what men's ministry is all about, is meeting other men of faith that can share with you what God's doing in their life. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. I, I, um, I've uh, taken the verse that... Is out of Ecclesiastes from Solomon. I'm, I'm sure I probably borrowed it from someone and made a New Testament application. You know, it, it says the threefold cord is not easily broken. And I think when we come to faith in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit who comes in, we have His Word, and then we have others in the body of Christ. And I think the dynamic interaction of those three really makes us become uh, super strong and and very able to deal with the, the pressures and the ten, temptations and the difficulties of life. So, um, 85 rolls around, actually late 84 rolls around, I'm at a church conference for all these churches that are, that are, at that time there were probably about 30 churches that were popping up in college campuses all over the southeast and the midwest and some in the near west. And um, the gentleman, or actually the group of people, uh, that I had met, and they, they were actually from Clemson University. They spell that C-L-E-M-P-S-O-N. Clemson, that's how they say it, doesn't it? Where you go to school, Clemson. And um, so I actually was um, just hanging out with that group of believers, and, you know, there's this cute little blonde that was there, and it was Amy. And so I thought, well, yeah, Lord, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. Just, yeah, but I, I found, I found her uh, not only in, encouraging and interesting, but I found her very uh, appealing because of the godly character she had. And and I, you know, obviously, I'm five years now without 
being married. I've got two girls I'm raising, and, and I so wanted to have a large family, and I wanted to have, you know, a wife that would be pulling the wagon together with me for Christ. Well, God moves in great ways, and a year later, we got engaged, and we got married four months after that. And uh, I asked Amy about three weeks before we got engaged, at the Jefferson Memorial, I said, so this was after her dinner dance that she invited me to. She used to work for a consulting firm named Booz Allen Hamilton. Sounds like a good company, right? I said, so do you want to have a family? She said, I said, would you like to have children? She said, yeah, 10. I said, whoa, what, what am I getting into? <laughs> I said, well, I guess we'd have an even, even dozen. Of course, we're pretty far along in the courtship at this point. And uh, we actually had 21 total days together only two of them alone, that was one of the two, before I asked her to marry me. I was not planning to ask her to marry me the night I asked her, but it was just like, I don't know if any of you have experienced this, but when the Holy Spirit puts something on you, you just can't not do it. And I, of course, I'm a planner. I would have it all planned out. All It would be perfectly staged and planned. And I, I asked Amy to marry, marry me in our friend's home, right by the bloom closet, the broom closet. How romantic is that? But anyway, uh, Amy and I, uh, we got married in November of 85, and, and we, of course, um, we began to have children. We had one, and we had two. Then we had twins. So we had four of our five children that we've had together. We lost one between our last and the twins, we had the, the first four in two and a half years. So I say those were my guerrilla warfare years as a father because especially when the twins come, the first two are boys. One of them was very colicky, so he was up a lot in the night. And then when the twins came, it was just like, you know, because Amy was uh, breastfeeding each of our children. So those were great years. We thought we were going to be church planters for the rest of our life. And we did plant another church here in Orlando in our home in 1994. It still remains today up in Winter Garden. It's called The Crossings. And, um, but you know, it was, it's, when you look back on what the Lord's done in your life, uh, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. I went two years ago back to Ball State to a 30-year reunion of the church we started on the campus, which we'd actually started six years before. And, and of course, as a spiritual leader, you want to see fruit and multiplication. And I didn't get to meet all of them, but 13 generations now of spiritual leaders have been birthed out of that church. And there's still 300 strong on that campus. So it just really made me think about, yes, this is what is worth giving your life to. And of course, you, most of you know the Great Commission. You know, I've I've always said to folks that our family were Great Commission Christians, not because our group was called that, but because that's really what the vision for our life ought to be. And, and um, how many of you know that verse, those verses? Matthew 28, 19, and 20? Anybody know 18? Most people don't even remember 18, but it's really important to remember because it's the weight behind 19 and 20. Jesus said, this is the last words that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. He's, huh? Yeah, he said, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. Then he says, go 
and make disciples, baptize them and teach them. And I'll be with you to the end of the age. So that's really what's been on my heart. And, you know, what is it that drives me and gives me passion? It's, it's the gospel. It's making a difference in people's life. And one of the things that, and, and of course, Charlie was kind of the pinnacle mentor in my life. I had a lot of other mentors through each of the decades before I met Charlie. Guys that would pray with me, guys that would explain scripture to me, guys would say, don't do this, do do that. And, and so many of you probably know this verse out of 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Paul said it this way, he said, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so I began early on to start discipling guys. I just call friends of mine, you know, that maybe were Christian and lukewarm. I'd have Bible studies every, usually multiple days a week. I was having a Bible study with somebody, anybody that would listen, <laughs> that was not as not as far along as I was, and I was sharing the scripture with them. I was trying to teach them. So that one of my primary gifts is teaching, and so it, it just melded and fell together. And um, so I've been involved in a mentoring ministry for the last 20-some years, and uh, it's the thing that I feel God's pleasure doing. I feel God's pleasure when I'm talking about Him. And of course, before I came to Christ, I was pretty much spineless, I was pretty much like the wind, you know, or like, you know, you blow this way, I'll go this way. And of course, many of you also know this verse. It says, think not that I came to bring peace, Jesus said. I came to bring a sword. And that sword will divide brother, sister, mother, mother, father, son, or daughter. And of course, I lived for really nearly 40 plus years of my 45 with my older sister and older brother, estranged from me because my younger sister and I were in Christ. My brother came, came to the Lord last year, uh, not you know, just months before he died. Forty-some years of praying for him. Our oldest sister is still lost. Um, but, you know, it's just really cool to see that God is so faithful to praying persistently. You know, now that we have all seven of our children adults and all married, and we, out, we now have eight grandchildren. It's just been uh, a wonderful testimony to the faithfulness of God because those, those are the prayers that Amy and I had. And I told Amy, I said, you know, I didn't hear, honey, the audible from the Lord, but I said, I think I've reached my management limit after Emily was born. And because I said, you know, I'm going to be 68 when she graduates from college. And that was four years ago. For those of you who don't know, I'm in my 70s now. Of course, you can tell by my blonde hair, right? <laughs> anyway, um, you know, there is a cost to following Christ. You know, most of my college friends and my community friends that, that didn't know the Lord, they'd look at me and they'd say, what the you-know-what, Etch? What? Where'd you go? Who in the are you? What is going on? Have you lost your mind? And, and, but you know, the, the Lord has replaced so many of those relationships with the wonderful relationships that I have with many of you in this room. You know, this man and I go back a few years. We really got to know each other in 0405 in a, in a campus launch of another church. And so it's just, uh, it's wonderful the family that you can have, you know, and it's, it's, 
It's nice to know that people love you unconditionally, that they are just like you. They're sinners saved by grace. They accept you for who you are and where you are. And um, they love laboring for the Lord together with you. You know, so what are the things that keep me pursuing God? And, and some of you have heard me teach on um, the Scripture before. You know, the Scripture commands us to do five things with His Word. I call it getting a grip. It's not mine. It's, it's something I borrowed again. How do you get a grip on God's Word? You do the five things the Scripture commands us to do. Hear it, read it, study it, memorize it, and meditate upon it. And um, so, and when you, when you get filled up with God's Word, the Spirit of God in you gives you the ability to have that... You know where we get our word dynamite from? Dynamos. That's the word for the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit booms out of you and I in a magnanimous way because we're speaking something that's living and active. Two of my favorite verses over the last couple of years, you know, some of you say, well, I, just, I, I appreciate, Mike, that you're bold and you, you, know, you like to witness and you're not afraid to talk about Jesus. Well, you know, the Bible says that we're the body of Christ. And he says... Um, were his hands, feet, eyes, ears, nose, mouth. So most of you probably know Hebrews 4.12, right? The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And then I discovered years ago, and I just came back to it over the last couple of years, Isaiah 55.11, So shall my word be that will go forth from my mouth. We're his mouth. It will not return empty. It will prosper where I send it, and it will accomplish my purpose. That's, that's a get-out-of-jail card, guys. All we have to do is deliver the Word, and the Holy Spirit is going to do the work because it's living and active. I tell people when, when I talk to them, it doesn't matter if you remember what I said. It really matters that you remember what I said about God's Word. Because God's words, what living and forever settled in heaven, exalted above all, and so that's the um, that's that's a thumbnail of the story. And I wanted to read this um, this thought to you as I close. I'm sorry I took so long, Steve. Anybody else? It was looking for me to be done sooner. You know, we've talked about uh, Phil and I recently, and some with Steve about how to share your testimony. You know, there's lots of ways to share your testimony. And this particular little phrase is something that my mentor Charlie used to quote all the time. And it's really true about all of us. It could be our one-minute elevator speech. It goes like this. This is everyone's life story. I'm not what I think I am. I'm not, I'm not what I hope to be. Nor, I, nor am I what I ought to be. But by the grace of God, I'm not what I was. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, and now I see. And so I, um, I hope that the, some of the things I've shared with you tonight um, give you encouragement to, 
grow in your faith. And, and one of the ways that I think is best to grow is just like the coals of a fire, when you have them all together, there's a great high flame. And when we get guys together who are passionate about God's Word and about um, mentoring other people, I've, I've said often when I've talked about getting a grip on God's Word and share that verse in Timothy I spoke of earlier, who are your Timothys? Who are the guys you're mentoring? And who are your Pauls? Who's your mentor? And there, you know, there are going to be several if you if you want them in your life, and they'll all have. They, you know, the, it's interesting that Paul. I'll leave with this one final verse. Paul said in Ephesians three, he says, "The many faceted wisdom of God, New American Standard, is going to be revealed through the church." So there's stuff that each of you have that I can benefit from, and vice versa. Iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. And you know, Solomon said it this way, if we walk with wise men, godly men, we'll be wise. But the companion of foolish men suffer harm. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. May God bless your day. We'd love for you to join us next week in person on Tuesday evening or Thursday morning for our My Story series or join us for our next podcast. Until then, God bless. Thank you.